Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Our guest today is a genuine expert at what he does. From Claremont, 400 kilometres west of Rockhampton in central Queensland, master dog trainer Frank Finger. Frank, hello and welcome. Good morning, Kerry. Pleasure to be with you. Let's start with the background. Growing up, etc. was it on the property? Did you have dogs there yeah. on the property? Well, we did have, but not purposeful dogs when I, when I came along. They were just a, a house pet. I'm the youngest of a family of seven. Apparently, my father had I was uh, had dogs earlier on before I came along. Uh, he had five sons and two daughters, and he said the five sons was enough to handle without having dogs. So he phased <laughs> the dogs out and brought the sons in. So now, now <laughs> that's what happened. You didn't start immediately on dog training. You had a regular sort of job at first, didn't you? Yeah, I left school early uh, at the end of nineteen. Uh, 19- 68, just before I turned 15, went to work on the family property with my four other brothers. That's how we worked. And the father, mother and father have been sort of busy buying properties uh, through the 50s and 60s and run the place on the smell of an oil rag. My father always said, and my mother said that if you buy a place, the most important thing is to pay it back. So uh, there was never any excess money. The, the first priority was a bit of water improvement. Second, it was to pay the bank off. We didn't have any machinery. We had one old T20 tractor, no motorbikes, big teams of horses. And um, I think my father, all he used to drive was an old Volkswagen Beetle buggy thing. That's, that was all he had. And we had an old Holden Ute. That was the extent of our our vehicles. And uh, we, you know, we had properties uh, a distance apart, up to 40 k's and 30 k's or something like that. And we would walk the horses from one place to another, do the muster there, walk them to another place, do the muster. And that's sort of how, how I uh, grew up. And we got paid once a year. That was so we wouldn't waste money. We once got paid a once year. a year. Oh, my good heavens. And made put that into a bank. And uh, we, we never just didn't seem to go anywhere. We just seemed to work and be happy doing that. But by late 74 came the beef slump and just from memory I would think bullocks would have gone from three thirty, forty, fifty dollars to eighty dollars in a couple of weeks and, and, and really good maiden spade heifers went from around three hundred back to thirty dollars. It wow. was it was a major crash. So you, so you Frank, Frank you had to you had to look for an income elsewhere. You ended up in a mine, I believe, is that right? That's correct, Terry. There was a, a, a mine at um, a near, and a near town that um, the Bioca-Peterson government was building a near town called Dysa, uh to our northeast. It was about 100 k's away. And it was just starting, and I seen where they were looking for employment. And I thought, well, what's my chances? You know, what, what would I know about mining? But I did have mining in the blood because my grandfather uh, originally owned the Blairful Coal Mine, and I had an uncle that had spent all his life in coal mining, but, I mean, I'd, I'd never been with them and I never had any experience, but it was Frank, there. Can, and, can I just say one thing? By the sound of it, you were used to working very hard. You knew all about well, hard work. Well, that's correct. Yes. yes, that was the only thing I had going for me. Yes. And I get over to this place on this day, and it was on the mine site where the uh, personnel officer was doing the interviews. He came out after, I might have been one or two, went before him, and he just come over and he said, hey, you, come on in. And I go in, and he <laughs> said... Uh, he asked me what I'd done, where I'd come from, and he said, uh, you got any earth-moving equipment in your place? I said, well, we've got a square-nose shovel, a crowbar, and a post-hole shovel, and <laughs> that's about it. 
And the next next thing he said, uh, I've got just the job for you. So he gave me a job that I absolutely loved. And that was just a trades assistant uh, working with the tradesmen. And we were at the workshop at the uh, coal preparation plant. And then during day shift, I would drive a truck with a hire then getting all the gear for different players and take around it. That I went on to shift work reasonably quickly. You had to start on day shift for a while, and if you cut the mustard, you got on to shift work, and I got on to shift work quickly. There were three shifts in those days, three eight-hour shifts, and if you wanted to work, you could work overtime or double shifts, and um, that I was there to make money, so I just got every shift, everything I could, do anything, and I got had the um, best of form and, and leading hand, just lovely men, and they wanted to help me, so... You know, they let the other fellas teach, and I learned to weld. I learned to work on big pumps and motors and all things unimaginable and got to learn all about different things. And that's where I learned to learn, and that's where I learned to uh, want to teach people. Wonderful. Now, look, um, we want to talk about dogs now. You left the mine. You went back to the properties, I assume. And do you recall your first dog in those days? Yes, I did. Well, well, my first very dog as, as a as a little fella, I, I was just loved the Phantom comics, and uh, I I don't know where it was bred, but I got this white dog, and in the Phantom comics, he had a white wolf. It was called and Devil. It was it was called Devil. That's so right. Even I remember very, that. <laughs> yeah, and my first dog was called Devil, probably when I was about seven or eight or something like that. And all these years later, I finished up with Lucy. Now, look, uh, Frank. The history of working dogs in Australia is a bit mixed, isn't it? I mean. By that, I mean the first dog sent to Australia to work were completely unsuitable. You are right. And then in the early days, if anybody in this area had dogs, were always blue or red here. And that is back when cattle and and the drovers used them and cattle were calm and people worked cattle calmly. And uh, they used to just bring up the tail and uh, get the odd one that broke away. And we had a couple of them along the way. A couple of my brothers had them, but I, I never ever knew how to work them. And it wasn't until after my father had died and he died in the, in the 80s and uh, I had a brother die at the same time. So I had to step up a bit and I did get a couple of dogs, a blue heeler and a kelp and stuff, but I didn't know how to work them. But uh, in, the 19th, in the early 90s, then I had a couple of daughters uh, that were getting ready to leave school and I, they were so uh, useful on the property that I didn't want to send them to ag college. So we started bringing the ag college to the property and having every short course and, and lots of other trainers to the property. And we were getting, you know, 30 to 40 young people coming to all these schools, and I could see a need for it, and they would fill out a little form at the end of each school as to what they wanted to do next. And at the end of 95, it was overwhelming for a dog school, so I searched the, the best trainer I could find, and that was uh, Neil and Helen McDonald from Keith in South Australia, and they came up and we run a school, and we had 36 people at it, and that's, once that's I've where seen it started. that, wow. that's where it started. Yeah. So the kelpie, uh, is it the kelpie related to the dingo or is that a, com- a complete myth? Uh, I, I think there is a little bit in, in the dingo. I, I don't know enough about that, but I'm not a student of genetics, but that's the story and I'll go along with that. You so know, they're both yeah. smart and they both lack fear. But but they still evolve from the wolves. You know, they, that, that, That's where the herding instinct is. Um and once you understand how the wolves work in the wild, you understand how the kelpies and collies, the herding dogs, want to work, it is just so, so super easy. And 
that's what I'm spending my time now is breaking it down to show people how easy it is. Now, we don't go trialling. We don't we need a lot of frills. You need commands without being commanding. You need control without being total controlling. So it, it's just so easy, Kerry, to, it's so to easy. get a pup. It I, is I, you, I suspect it's easy because you've been doing it for so long. But let me ask, uh, let's get to the how. You have a pup. What's the start? How do you... Uh, take this dog, you might like to introduce it to your mob or, or in the paddock. What do you do? Do you just walk down with the pup and let it run free or is there another way? Rightio. So we'll, we'll give you uh, the story of Annie uh, and, and that was a pup. That's Annie off, off Muster Dogs and she was given to me at two months old. So I have to wait for her instincts to come out. We would have a few goats in a training pen, nice shaded training pen uh something that's probably 40 metres circumference, probably eight metres across, something like that. It doesn't have to be round, but we had a, a round yard that we used to break horses in. So we put mesh around that to make it pup-proof. We were just making use of what we had. You know, you don't get hung up on detail. Just hang something up and make it pup-proof. And uh, so you put it, we had, we had a few goats. We put a few goats in there, and I'd take Annie to the goats. And because we are on a... 12-month timeline, I had sweat feeds because the instincts have got to come out and that is when the pup flies in, splits the goats apart, goes around behind or does something and works out that she's there to herd or yes, chase them. They, so, they, that wouldn't be easy start. They're remarkably skittish goats, so that would have been very... Well, they're, in, a, they're in, a, in an area already trained by dogs, so you know they, they okay. stand in one spot and they... And anyway... She didn't seem interested in the goats, and we also have a paddock of dorpers. My son runs some dorpers, and uh, there might have been 30 dorpers out there. And every day I'd take it to the goats, went quickly in the morning before work, out on a bike to the sheep. And then at three weeks, uh, three months and one week, she I let her off at the sheep, and she just done this nice arc around to the other side. I had a little bit of trouble catching it because she realized she was going to work, because she shouldn't you know, do any work out in a big area, but I was in a hurry to get the instincts out. So she went round nice and sneaky, so I caught her, took her back to the goats, and we're away. So put her in with the goats, throw her around, get her to go off the side. You always must have a rake in your hand, and you stop her coming, circling the goats. You cut her off at, at uh, 3 o'clock on one side, 9 o'clock on the other, keep her behind, walk in the lead, get the goats coming to you, and we're away. And that's we then, after a month, moved on to a small mob of cattle, and then on to ever-increasing larger mob of cattle. By nine months, she was out in the paddock mustering, and I've never, ever had a pup out at that age. But because we had to go to the Northern Territory to do our final 12-month thing, I didn't know whether we were working scrubbers or crocodiles. So I had to get her uh, ready, you know, for whatever they threw at me up there, and uh, and that's how it went. How do you uh, get control of a dog, Frank, uh, when you start training I've seen and heard methods, um, whistles, shouts, claps of the yep. hand. How do you get the yep. dog to go somewhere near or outside, say, a mob of cattle? Right. Uh, so what you do is set up a set up the you know like an area with your trainers of or sheep, goats, cattle, runner ducks, or whatever they are. And if you don't have any of those, and you've only got cattle, you get a very small wieners and get the quiet ones. And if you haven't got any other dogs, you just feed them and walk in them and get them nice and quiet. So you get them in the centre of a yard, chuck your little pup out, let it go around. That's, that's the start. Then the next thing is um, 
for command, when you want the command, when you throw your little pup out, if you throw it to the right, which is going anti-clockwise around your herd of livestock, you label that. You label the action that the dog is about to take. And if you're consistent, the dog will then correlate that action with that command. And that's how it's done. If it's going to the right, and we want to, we call that back, as it's going naturally, we just say back, back, back. And if it turns and goes anti-clockwise around the cattle, you just say over, over, over. And a lot of Kelpies have a natural sit. And if it naturally sat, you just tell it sit or whatever you want to name it. And if it stands up and walks in, you say walk in. You label the action the dog is doing. And if you're consistent, it correlates that action with that command. And that's just as simple as that. Frank, I've seen uh, competitions on television. There's often the uh, the uh, trainer is standing there and he is actually leaning on a stick or a rake or something like that. Is that a feature as well? That's that's for trialling. That's not what we do. Oh, We're okay. in the lead of the cattle with our okay. back turned to the cattle, charming yep. the cattle okay. to get them to follow us. So you get to charm the cattle to follow you. The little pup thinks it's driving, and you, you, know, you get out of your round yard into a bigger pup-proof yard. We all, we've got well mesh in all our yards so the pups can't get out. You, you don't want to finish on a bad note. Like if a little pup got kicked, you don't want it clearing out and running back to the house because it'll imprint that in its mind forever. Yeah, you certainly do. You want to be able to catch it, uh, settle it down, put it back to work for a few seconds, then take it off on a winning note. Let's take a short break now to hear a message from our podcast partner, Alenco Animal Health. This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alenco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Master Dog Man Frank Finger. How old will the dog be before you can offer it and say this is a trained cattle dog? Does it differ from dog to dog? Some are smarter than others, I guess. That's correct. Annie was fully trained at 12 months. She had more uh, commands on her than required for station work. Uh, training a dog for someone else, I think, is a waste of time unless the other person knows how to do it or has done a school because if you don't have any knowledge of a herding dog and, and someone trains it up for you, it drops back to your level within a fortnight. Okay. Now, you were at Casterton yes. recently, probably the uh, the dog cattle of Australia, certainly the home of the Australian Kelpie Centre. There was a sale. What price was it, was the top dog? From memory, I think it, it was 28000 I think, and uh, there was a fellow I know, Paul McVail, he had a couple around 27,000, but that's only from memory. It might have been a little bit more, uh, Kerry, but uh, yes, uh, the, the dog sold well, about 53 of them, I think. My son bought a couple and uh, just pups. We, we only yes. ever buy pups okay. and, and train them ourselves. Uh, yeah, I, I would rather for 27,000 to buy 10 pups than but one dog. And but pack. is it important yeah. to know the mum and the dad? Of that pup that you were buying? Well, it's important to see the pup working. You know, at okay. Caster, and they all work. They've got to work before, and it's important to see. I like a, I like a, The only thing, I, I'm not a student of genetics, but I do know some bloodlines, and I'm guided by what people tell me. But if you, you know, you got to appreciate 30 years ago when we started here, there was nobody breeding dogs up here much, and there was nobody with kelpies. We were sort of out on a limb. So it was no use of us being skilled up. We would just get a pup from the south, 
and train it and learn to train it and not worry about the genetics, you know. Of course, if you've got something that stood out, you might chase it. But yeah. I have a saying that um, rather than spending all your life running around looking to buy a special dog, get a well-bred pup and make it special. There's nothing like training it yourself and making it your own. Uh, Frank, is there a difference between the, the, the skill set needed for a working cattle dog to a working sheep dog? No. That's no. the same? No, I, I don't have any experience with, with numbers of sheep. As I say, we just have a few sheep and goats. Yeah, yeah. It's the same herding principle. The dog would have to be uh, steadier on sheep, work further off. They need to work closer just because of the size ratio to get effect to the cattle. But a, a, a good dog doesn't need to bite. It needs to be in the right spot. That's all it's got to do is be at the right spot at the right time, turn the beast back in, have a good walk-up presence and probably just snap at the air or a little snap on the on the cheek or on the front foot, but yeah. never on the on the heel. And uh, yeah, which brings yeah. me to the the blue heelers. They've got a bit of a habit of nipping, haven't they? Are they are they uh, is that why they're not as popular as kelpies? I suppose because they do tend to nip a lot. Well, now we're we're in a quicker quicker world. We need the dogs to block cattle up. You know, like rather than the old shorthorns having to pick them up off the water when I was a kid and then flog them home. Um, Brahmins and cattle like that uh, are more intelligent so you need an intelligent dog to block them up, turn them around and get them to follow you and that, that I just love stringing cattle out and have them following me. Now we get our breeders sometimes two kilometres long on a windy road through the hills, no fences and I'll be in the lead and the sun might be behind or nobody behind, just a couple of dogs or no dogs at all having the cattle tricked into thinking the dogs are there and uh, but that comes from years of training your dogs and training your cattle as well. But it's not hard. It's simple. Time for a brief message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Master Dog Man Frank Finger. Frank, I read a report recently that a good cattle dog in its working life is worth at least forty thousand uh, dollars in labour equivalent. Is is that how you see it? I see them worth forty thousand dollars as a companion and as a friend. As well as the work. That's a little bit different. Oh, I yes, don't, okay. Yeah, I just. Treat them firstly as a companion, secondly as a workmate. We work, we train the weaners together, the cattle become trained, and then it's just one enjoyment. I don't think of them working for me. I think of them just, yeah, they, they are working for me, but I like to think of them as working with me. Can I mention why working dogs work? When I was a kid, there was the accepted notion that dogs work because they want to please their masters and want to hear or get rewards, but that notion is now out of fashion, and there's a different theory on why working dogs actually work? That's correct. They're, they're, 
they get their pleasures from us letting them work. The reward, you must keep your dogs. If you've got good genetics and good dogs, they must be kenneled and trained at all time unless working on a supervised fun run. Otherwise, they'll go look you know, for the neighbour's cattle, get themselves baited and shot and all the things happen. But their reward, reward for sitting all night or sleeping all night in the kennel without working, without barking or anything like that is to be let out in the morning and go to work and they just want to work. And yes, they do work to please the owner because you've formed a bond and you've got to have a what we call now in a new age thing is a Bluetooth bond where you're in the you're in the mind of the working dog and uh, and then you get the minds of your cattle right. So you're working on their minds and um, they they know what I want before before I ask or show. And dogs run very much of atmosphere and and body language. So you can train a dog just by where you put your body or the end of the rake or your horse's head or the front of the motorbike. It's a bit like they train dolphins. You start with big movements and then uh, ever so slowly decrease until where you could hardly see what I was doing to get reaction from the dog. Frank, what about the type of cattle being handled? Are, are some breeds easier than others, or Bosenticus and Bostaurus cattle harder or easier to handle? I haven't had a lot of experience with lots of different breeds. I've helped a lot of people in the last 20-odd years since we've been going, and most of them are drought masters, uh, and and Brahmins, the Brahmin cattle are just would be the easiest to break. The Brahmin cattle are like horses; they you just break them in as weaners, and they never forget it. They just beautiful cattle. We crossbreed with purebred Simmentals, and the crossbred Simmentals are easy. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have enough experience with that, Kerry. But any cattle I've ever dealt with, it's all the same, unless unless they become very roguey and been lost mustering a lot, then it takes longer. But if Even cattle that have never seen people are easy to handle, but cattle that have been lost a lot may be more difficult. But I don't go looking for excitement anymore. I just stay in my own little bit and we do what we've got to do. Yes, I'd think some of those scrub bulls up in the north might be hard to handle if you haven't seen seen a person for three or four years. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. So I don't worry about that. But Frank, cattle people I know reckon Brahmins are very, very smart. In fact, they regard them highly as the smartest breed around. Would that be... Is that is that how you regard them in terms of being uh, their ability to be handled? Exactly. Yeah. They they are the smartest to win over and get to do what you want, mm. and probably the smartest if you don't know what you're doing to get out of control. So you know, it's um, if you start with your wieners and break them in, absolutely beautiful cattle. And we drive up to a water and have this bit of a mesmerising little trick. Now, as soon as the first beast stands up, which means you're in the flight zone of the cattle. We stop the vehicle or, or four-wheeler. You can't do it on a two-wheeler. But just stop and back up, and then you'll see another one stand up and another one come towards you, and they just think, what's he doing? He's out there. Drive a little bit forward, drive a little bit back, and you get into the minds of your cattle, and they come searching for you. So, And, I mean, you don't have to do this all the time, but when you go around your waters, if you do that, then you never get cattle running away from waters. And when you go to muster, we just go out on a bike, do that, let them stand up, let every cow get its calf, and... Um, and then the cows are happy, and then they'll walk off to where you want them to go, and then they think it's their idea. So it's just so easy. Don't force them. Just give cattle a little bit of time. If you give them an extra 10 minutes of the water before you walk off or when you first find cattle, you'll pay for it at the end of the day. Frank, you've become a bit of a household name in Australia with that Working Dog series on the uh, ABC. How was that experience? Well, who would have thought that training one pup could cause such a difference in one's life? You know, it's uh, 
um, we've just been up to the Atherton show, and uh, I think there was about seven or seven and a half thousand there to watch a demo that we done, and like that's overwhelming. It's hard to hard to believe, but that's that's what it's done. And people, and a, a lady came from Western Australia to the Atherton show to see us. One from Tasmania, a woman from Toowoomba, and yeah, unbelievable. Did you see Red Dog the movie? What did you think of that, uh, the Kelpie and that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a while back now. But anything that portrays um, the smartness of your dogs and your cattle and kindness to people and to dogs is is well well. There's enough drama on the TVs now, and something like Muster Dogs just hit at the right time after COVID, and I think that's why it was a winner. Probably not so much what we done, but just the timing and the animals. And Frank, do you think dogmanship is uh, underestimated in Australia? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Look, I'm going to finish with a quote that I read many, many years ago from Will Rogers, a famous American author come philosopher. He said, if there are no dogs in heaven, I want to go where they go. Well, you couldn't do much better than that. Okay. Frank Finger, Master Dog Trader, thank you so much for being on, on the grill with Beef Central. Thanks, Kerry. Thank you so much. Bye. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.